you have had the wisdom to download the podcast Unorthodox. Occasionally on this podcast, indiscreet language is used. Please be forewarned. This has been an obscenity warning. This is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined by tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Hello. Hello. And slightly under the weather, tablet senior writer Leah Leibowitz. A very merry winter to you. Yes, winter winter has arrived, as we say in Tel Aviv. Uh, Jewish guest this week is returning Jew. Is this his third, third time? time? This is. I think he's our first three-peating, three-peating Jew. Jew. The Trinity. Andrew Jehoshaphat AJ <laughs> Jacobs. I actually don't know what the AJ stands. Wait, he told us once. Didn't he tell us what the AJ stands? Absalom <laughs> Jedediah Jacobs. Ahashverus <laughs> Yehuda Jacobs. AJ Jacobs, um, whose latest book is Thanks a Thousand, A Gratitude Journey. Our Gentile of the Week ripped straight from the tape from our live show in Houston, Texas last week. Our Gentile is Shay Katiri, who is the Iranian expatriate, who used a GoFundMe campaign to raise a cool million dollars for the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. The best thing about his story is that he was hungover when he found out about the shooting and started the GoFundMe. All right. <laughs> so a true grad school you know, legend. That's right. Uh, we are back in Argo Studios after what seems like a lifetime away. On the road, Cleveland, Houston, amazing people in both of those cities. I think we can agree. I uh, am happy to be back in Argo Studios. Though I had a very strange dream on the Metro North on the train into the city this morning. Now, I read somewhere, somebody, there's somebody I read about who said, my dad's advice was like, nobody wants to hear about your dreams or your children. Correct. And I basically think that's true. And I don't, you'll know that in all the years I've known you guys, I've never shared a dream with either of you. We do know a lot about your children, though. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. As listeners of the show. Lean heavily on the children. Don't talk about my dreams. I'm going to violate the dream rule just this once. Give me 15 seconds. The dream was this, that I get off the train and walk into Grand Central Station and go blind. And it's blindness through like heavy pixelation. Like everything is kind of in weird little bit code, like, you know, like an old sci-fi movie where people's faces go all electronic. But it's so chunky that I literally am blind. I can't even make my way through the stadium. And then I hear Stephanie's voice. And she takes me by the hand and says, there was a radiation spill. Some of the people in Grand Central Station have been affected. You're obviously one of them, but it's going to be okay. And she leads me by the hand out onto Vanderbilt Ave. And then my sight returns. I like that in your dream world, I am like a competent person in a disaster because I highly doubt that in real life, that's how calm I would be. I'd be like, Mark, get the F over here. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, it's love, the apocalypse. I love and respect Stephanie a lot. But if the apocalypse comes and you have a choice of one of the two of us to lead you to safety, are you choosing the guy, like the prepper I, with the guns and like the iodine He's like, come to my or? cave. I've been building it for years. <laughs> I actually, here's what I think. I actually think, and I'll be spend a long time. I, I seldom remember dreams very clearly, but I had this dream on the train. I fell asleep on the train. The dream came. It was 100% clear. And I'll be... I'll be turning it over in my mind a very long time. I think if it's violence or terrorist attack, uh, if it's if it's if there are guns involved, Liel, you are my man. If you could shoot your way through it, if you could it, shoot your way or, or push your way out of it, you're my man. But if you need For transcendent, you. Yeah. transcendent care, but if I need transcendent care, I, I get that. I also, or just or just like that the that the disaster, like some sort of illness, it would hit me somehow. I think Stephanie, like nothing bad ever happens to the Butniks. You know, and I think that that's you know, like now. The Holocaust. Okay, that was a while where, ago. Where they got here's, their the start. Thing, here's the thing. I regularly have dreams in which I need to like escape scenarios. I think it's called epigenetics. But I like do feel <laughs> like I would be scrappy and prepared because yep. I think about it basically 50% of the day. You got us to the right Grand Central Station exit. Uh, Liel, what's going on, Shay Leibowitz? Uh, speaking of guns, yeah, I, I received from my lovely wife a lovely birthday gift. It is a smoking gun. So first of all, if it has a word gun in the title, I'm already, you know, enthused. But this is a, a little gun that allows you... A poster of, of Tim Gunn of the Bravo Network, I example. would even love that. Yeah. Th- that's how With a pro- shirt off. Smoking. <laughs> <laughs> smoking gun. Um, it's a little gun that allows you to infuse smoke into, into every food and drink that you wish. It gives it a smoky flavor. You burn little wood chips and there's a little pipe. And you create a gas chamber, if you will, for food. Uh, and it is fantastic. But so how much of a been, gun is it actually? Does it look like a it gun? It looks like a gun. And you put the wood chips in it and you burn it. And I have been smoking everything. 
Cheerios, um, smoked. Which is great. Cola toast, yeah. smoked. The kids are like, can you smoke our food? I was like, you, you want to smoke cheese stick? <laughs> Here you go. Smoked. Stephanie, what's up with you? Well, it's funny. I think in both cities, in Cleveland and Houston, someone came up to me and said, how's Cat Stevens? And I was like, he fine. <laughs> and they were like, we haven't talked about him in a while. And I, we wanted to make sure like everything, you know, what was going on with him. And I said, What is I going thought, on with him? That is true. I have not talked about him in a while because his behavior has gotten like a little bit better. So he's no longer like a terror to me every day and every night. He's transcended outright hostility and achieved a state of just normal indifference. Yeah. Like, yeah, just like a cool calculating, like, I don't got time for you. But, He's a cat now. Yeah. Yeah. So news of the Jews. Uh, cats... I, like I wasn't even allowed to talk about my cat here. Oh, do, that, was that there was more? The no, was there... I was going to just like, you know, <laughs> talk about him a little bit. But no, let's, let's no, cut it. No, say it. No, preach it, sister. What, what else has you got on cats? He's just growing up and developing into himself more fully. And I think like, like he's a little bit calmer sometimes. Is he still on the drugs? Oh, yeah. He's on, he's on, he's on 10 milligrams of human Prozac. It's, it made all the difference. Eyedropper or do you... I cut a pill in half. I pick it up at Walgreens. I get my my scripts, his scripts. Um, he's under Stephen Cat Butnick. And I cut the pill in half with a, with a nail clip, with his nail clipper. Then I put each half into a pill pocket and give it to him. <laughs> and that is my life. Well... <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> Good times in the village. A little news of the Jews. We'll start. We'll start with the sad stuff. We'll work towards funny. First of all, we do want to acknowledge that there have been some Jewish institutions uh, that have been um, damaged in the California fires. The Elan Ramon Day School in Agura, for one thing, and then also the Shalom Institute, which is a conference center and camp uh, in Malibu, pretty much the world's most beautiful place, um, and and some other ones as well. We hear so we we wish them. We wish them rebuilding soon. We wish them repair. I think there's some GoFundMe campaigns out there. But those wildfires are just – I love California so much, and it really um, breaks my heart to, to see this going on. So next, just Next year in Malibu. Next year in Malibu, yeah. Um, okay. I said we were going to move to the happy. I lied. I forgot we have to stay in the sad for a minute. Because, um, so, you know, we're Jews. Because we're Jews. So uh, it's, it's, it's a serious week in News of the Jews when we have not – one but two stories about Nazi salutes. They um, are making a comeback. They are making a comeback. So the first one I will I will take because it's from my uh, my neck of the woods in Connecticut. So uh, Charles Myrick, who's a professor at Housatonic Community College, named after the nearby Housatonic River in southern Connecticut, he apparently was at a faculty meeting of the state community college faculties, and he began shouting during the meeting. He didn't approve of everything that was being said. He didn't agree, and eventually he held up his arm in a Nazi salute, and he kept it up. And that was reported to the appropriate authorities, and he apparently has been suspended. Now, here's the thing. This I've heard I have friends who teach in the Connecticut community and state colleges, and they're always trying to screw them out of jobs and merge things and achieve efficiencies and disrespect the academic labor. And my hunch is he's not taking calls from the press, but my hunch is that he was raising his hand in a Nazi salute to indicate that he thought the people running the meeting were Nazis, right? Like that's, you know, Sig Heil, Herr Hitler, you're calling someone. Hitler. He was not raising his hand, I'm guessing, to attack Jews. I love that he kept the hand up. That's right. my favorite. Tell. Like, Sir, are you asking a question or advocating yeah, the murder of like, the Jews? I mean, Which one is it? It's just like a 15 degree difference. I'm doing, Excuse me. I'm not doing it now. I'm trying to. Yeah, like he may have been trying to get their attention, but it is kind of like, um, is it Ben Frisch, the guy from Friends Academy, yes. who was like the Jewish Quaker teacher who was holding up like showing a nice sauce, some kind of angle. And he was like, oh, that looks like a Nazi salute. And he got. I mean, he got eventually reinstated, but he was no, fired. He, he got eventually reinstated. Yeah, there's a whole, there's a lot going on over the over. Oh, the, the Quakers summer, are but, not keeping me up to date. But this feels, I don't know. I, it's hard. We have to know more about. Aren't these we allowed people? to call? If we think someone's behaving like it's a you good old-fashioned thing on the left to call everyone oh, a fascist that, or a Nazi. But I think but, it's different to do the Nazis. But so if we <laughs> say someone's a Nazi, I mean, I hate it. Like not everyone's a Nazi, but you're allowed to call someone a Nazi without yourself being. That doesn't make you an anti-Semite to call someone a Nazi. My favorite Israeli sketch show had this amazing sketch. It's like Berlin, 1938. And some Jews are sitting at a table and some Nazis were sitting at a table. And he's like, look at these Nazis. And it's like, guys, like, Shh, you don't want to call them that. It's like, no, but like Goering and Himmler, like they're literally Nazis. Like, that's not a good word for them. So uh, what happened to him? Charles Myrick? Or, yeah. I mean, I think he's been suspended. And and the thing is, like, the, there's his arm so, suspended? There's so many stupid people, no doubt, involved in this whole discussion that nobody will ever see the difference that he was. I mean, the guy could be Jewish and calling them Nazis That's by right. using the and he'll never get his and, job and back. And he's the Nazi. He'll never get, right. he'll have to go teach at Friends Seminary. In he'll New never York. get his job as Obersturm und Führer back. <laughs> Too soon. The other one is worse. Okay, what's the other one? 
So basically, there was a, a photo that surfaced on Twitter of students, <laughs> male students at the Barbaro High School in Wisconsin. And it's apparently the class of 2019 at their junior prom. And they are all wearing suits and giving a Nazi salute. Like, and it's scary because it's just basically a bunch of majority white boys giving a Nazi salute. Where are the girls at their junior prom? It's unclear it whether it's a boys. High school? I, I don't know if it's a boys. <laughs> maybe it's a boys school. But yeah, there's it's a, it's weird. And then so someone, um, a vice reporter posted this photo and it really went viral. And people started reaching out to him being like, yeah, these kids are the worst. Like I graduated last year and they said this to me. Like it actually turned out that these are there's a lot of issues at this school. And then the school had to speak out. I mean, it's it's just weird. My favorite thing about that awful photo is that there's like one kid in the back with this like horrified look on his face that clearly says, Look, guys, I'm sorta kinda raising my hand here. I just don't want to get beat up. Like Right. So apparently th- this kid, <laughs> or we think this kid sent out a, a statement on social media. These days anyone can issue a statement to the press, right? right? If you have a Twitter account, you used to be able to print something on You're fax. seventeen, you have something to I say. I remember getting faxes as statements to the press, and now he's seventeen. He writes my name is Jordan Blue. I am the boy captured in the photo to the far right. The photo was taken during our junior prom photos. I clearly am uncomfortable with what was happening. I couldn't leave the photo as it was taken within five seconds. The photographer took the photos telling us to make the sign. You know, oh. the, you know oh. photographers all have their shtick, right? To get yeah. you like loosened up. This guy's shtick is like make the He's Nazi like, salute. I say cheese yeah. or... <laughs> I knew what my morals were. It was not to salute something I firmly didn't believe in. I attend BHS. These classmates <laughs> have bullied me since entering middle school. I've struggled with it my entire life yeah. and nothing has changed. I'm just trying to survive here. These are the boys at the class of 2019. Nothing has been done. And my question is, with, will anything ever be done? I truly and firmly believe we need to make a change to this horrible act. It needs to stop. So Jordan Blue is like, not, you know. <laughs> and there's this one guy with like a shit-eating grin in the center of the yeah. photo. And you're like, oh, oh. this Jordan is the Blue, next generation. Jordan Blue is like, mom, this is why we pay for private school. <laughs> That's right. But I think the interesting thing, so, so there's this Twitter thread and everyone's sort of replying to the guy being like, yeah, you know, there are people, they would just like yell white power. I mean, it seems like dumb kids for the most part, but but just this like weird way in which racist and anti, like it's just awful, the stuff that's coming out. It also sounds like there's a community where the local high school photographer feels free to say right. like, guys, you know what's funny? Say Jews, <laughs> mean cheese. No, I mean Jews, Jews as yeah. in death to old Jews. <laughs> and the thing is, one of these boys could reform and grow up to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Next in News of the Jews, Miriam Adelson, whose main accomplishment is marrying a billionaire, will be Whoa. getting the- will be, Excuse me. Will be getting the president, or her, her important accomplishment for the purposes of this Presidential you Medal of Freedom. You know what her important accomplishment is, put her down for them at. Her important accomplishment is- is she was my mother's OBGYN. Is that right? Yep. And now my mother's OBGYN got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Did she deliver no, you? she did not because my mother wanted to go to the private fancy hospital. But Only what, the what best. Did, what did your mother's OBGYN did, do this week? Delivered me. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so right. that's actually more important. Okay. But okay. No, okay. no, that's no, all I'm no saying. Top honor. So listen, at least she was alive because also getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Donald Trump, Elvis and Babe Ruth and also Roger Staubach. Now, what did why did what did he do to get it? Be he, a cowboy? He, yeah, yeah. he beat he a cowboy? Played. So this yeah. was literally he, Trump just being like, I like Elvis. Yeah, I, I, lo- I can't tell you how happy. I do that, have to say Elvis, Babe Ruth. Sarah Silverman had the best tweet in response. She wrote. Congrats, Sheldon Adelson, on buying your wife a Presidential Medal of Freedom. He went to Jared. <laughs> Sid and I always joke around the holidays. Is this? She's like, babe, is this the year you're getting me something from Jared? So I went back and found it. Who else has gotten the... the pre- I had a sense that the Presidential Medal of Freedom was given out rather, shall we say, promiscuously. Um, we should know that also having gotten it, NASCAR driver Richard Petty, uh, denture spokesmodel Martha Ray. You well probably she, don't remember her getting as well it. Well, she should. And uh, and Johnny Carson, Joe Biden. I mean, the, the bottom line oh, is pretty much. When Joe Biden got it, and he started crying because he didn't realize that he was going to get it. And right. at the end, Obama turned to him. It was like Uncle Joe. I missed you that one. too. And he just like starts bawling. That was and, like when things meant different. That was peak America. <laughs> anyway, Mazel Tov to Miriam. <laughs> that was season two. Mazel Tov <laughs> to Miriam Adelson on the Presidential Medal who, who of Freedom. Who would you, I'm curious, if as presidents, who would you give awards to? Uh, who would I give the Presidential Medal of Freedom to, Liel? I, I, I have a list, actually. Okay. <laughs> I would give it to my grandma, Rebecca, who I think was a better human than, than Miriam Adelson. Your Rock, child, Rebecca. My child. <laughs> she hasn't earned it yet, but my grandma, Rebecca. Uh, Rock critic and former unorthodox guest Rob Sheffield would get a presidential medal. Mike, the uh, the ice creamista at Ashley's Ice Cream in New Haven. The late novelist Evan Connell, who wrote the great novel Mrs. Bridge. My high school English teacher Jane Archibald. Uh, may I have two more? 
Yes. Okay. Uh, You're the president. As Char- many as you want. That's right. Charlie, the barista at the Starbucks on High Street, formerly of the Starbucks on uh, off of Exit that's 59. That's very AJ Jacobs of you. And uh, because he, Sid loves him so much. This is that's for Sid. Uh, and then finally, uh, Cecil Rosenthal killed at the Tree of Life Synagogue. I think I think he gets my posthumous. He was apparently an extraordinary man. So uh, that's who I would before before Roger Staubach and Miriam Adelson. I got a whole list for you, Leo. Okay. I have only two people. Okay. The late Lubavitcher Rebbe. And Weird Al Yankovic. These are my One posthumous, only... one humus. That's one That's... humus. I <laughs> have only one. Okay. Um, it's Sarah Silverman, who I think is like really kicking ass right now Amazing. as a very, very public spokesperson against anti-Semitism. She actually got a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and used her speech to say, I'm lucky that I got a star and don't have to wear a yellow star in this current climate. And Ba-da-boom. so she's just like everywhere. She is a spokes Jewess for the, for the ages. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Our Gentile of the Week, live from Houston, is longtime unorthodox listener and newfound hero to the Jewish people, Shekatiri. Um, you in the mood for a Gentile? I'm in the mood for a Gentile. Let's have let's, a Gentile. Let's, uh, let's, I'm in a we, Gentile you know, kind of we mood. We actually imported this Gentile from Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't find uh, any we are not, in Texas. Yes, so. <laughs> he passed through customs. We are not messing around. There's a ton of interesting things about this next guest. We'll talk about them. He was born and raised in Iran. He's getting his master's at Johns Hopkins. But the reason you may have actually heard of him in the past week is that Shea Gattieri, the morning, the day of the Pittsburgh shooting, started a GoFundMe for the Tree of Life Synagogue you know, like out of nowhere and has raised more than $1 million for the synagogue. So come on down, Shay. Shay Kateri, come on down. Come on down. You said, said. We hugged hugged so much backstage. This is all just gilding the lily. Yeah, we have to tell you, as soon as we saw him, we just hugged him. We just hugged him. can't not. So Shay, we've known about you for a little while because you listened to the show. Yeah, yeah. The relationship goes back pre-Pittsburgh. Yes, yes. Like we knew you before everyone else did. Yeah, yeah. You're early adopters. So tell us, just like, can you just tell us who you are and how you ended up being basically the biggest fundraiser for a tragedy that happened in a place that you've never been and to a community that you actually are not connected to? Uh, I would disagree that I'm not connected to the Jewish community. I am very connected. No, I meant the Pittsburgh but, community. I know, I know. The Pittsburgh but, community. Uh, I just. Uh, uh, well, I'm Shay. I'm from Iran. Grew up there. Uh, I'm seeking political asylum here. One nice thing that the Iranian government has ever done to me or my family is that they blacklisted me, so it works very well for my immigration status. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find out, like, oh my God, mullahs, thank you for that. That's oh, incredible. I, I swear. Uh, so I'm they at, walked right into your trap. Did you thought you'd just say all these <laughs> offensive things, insulting Allah, and like you'd get your trip to the U.S.? It all it all came together, didn't it? It all did. No, I was at, actually I was here on student visa, and uh, I just see my Twitter blowing up, and I'm like, what's happening? I check it, and there is literally a civil war over Iranians trying to decide whether I'm a hero or a traitor after signing a letter uh, encouraging President Trump to impose sanctions on Iran. And it was really funny that you're you're being mentioned that he's a hero. No, he's a SOB. And I'm like... And you're sitting on campus, like, eating a burrito. Yeah, basically. I'm <laughs> like, and my, my friends are like, what's happening? We're like, nothing. Another mojito. <laughs> <laughs> so take us, take us to, to Saturday. Uh, I woke up hungover as I do every Saturday. Uh, the American dream. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Hey, I, I, alcohol is illegal in Iran. I'm just making up for all these right. last years. Uh, 
I uh, woke up and I have been staying with a friend of mine until my apartment get, is ready, actually tomorrow. Uh, for the past two months, I've been staying with Sarah. Uh, and I wake up and we're in a tiny studio. I'm on her couch, wake up, and I'm like, she's broken. And I and she, first thing she tells me without me asking anything is what happened. And I'm really, really sad that this has happened uh, because... Uh, for many reasons, uh, you know, mass shootings have happened and uh, you cannot put value on them. They are all tragic, but this one has happened to a community targeted and a community that has been historically the most persecuted in in the world and also a community that I have a very deep emotional connection with, all my favorite mentors, my bosses, uh, my closest friends are disproportionately Jewish, and I thought to myself that uh, I, I told Sarah that I'm going to give some money to the congregation, which is a mechanism to cope with uh, tragedy, to make yourself feel better. And later, I had coffee. I uh, didn't get over my hangover, and uh, and then I thought to myself that I could donate eighteen or thirty six dollars, which is as much as I could do, uh, which I did actually. <laughs> but um, I could also start this GoFundMe. And the worst thing that could happen is that I share it on my social media, and it would raise five hundred or seven hundred dollars, and it is still better than nothing. But it could go viral potentially. And uh, I shared it on social media, and it did go viral, and it just shows how amazing American people are. So when did you realize that this website you had made, this GoFundMe page where people can sort of make donations, when did you realize it was, it was really taking off? Uh, it was, within an hour, it had raised something in, in a few thousands, and I thought that, oh, this is definitely going to get to $50,000 that I had set at the go as the goal, and, and it kept going, and I thought, this might pass $50,000, and a few blue checkmark people on Twitter tweeted it, including Jake Tapper, and uh, at that point, I knew that by the rate it was growing, I knew that it was going to go really high, and it did. And then what happens when you're like, oh, crap, I have a ton of money here. Wh how do I give it to the right people? Like, how would you figure so, that part out? So uh, how GoFundMe works is for charity, uh, you put the name of the charity, and they contact them, and uh, the person who has initiated it has no involvement in transfer of, of money, which is great because I'm so bad at finances. I literally, you could give me a pocket of uh, money without opening it, or it would come short. And, <laughs> and it's a special gift you have. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible gift. Uh, and uh, so I had no involvement, but uh, I just wanted to contact them and let them know that, uh, hey, by the way, this is happening. And in the meantime, I understand that it is probably they have bigger fish to fry right now. And a day later or two days later, I think it was the next night that I finally got in touch with, uh, uh, with the president of the congregation. And he told me that they had found out, but they also were in touch with the FBI to make sure this is not a fraud. Uh, which makes perfect sense. Uh, and uh, at that point, I was sure that everything is going to be uh, sorted out. I have to tell you, I know you've, you've said so backstage that you feel uncomfortable being kind of, you know, called out and lauded and praised for this because, as you said just now, you just felt like you were doing the thing that came naturally to you. But, you know, we, we were down in Pittsburgh uh, and at some point, I think Sunday afternoon, right after the vigil, someone say, do you know this guy, Shea Kateri? You're like, sure. It's like, you know, one of our you know, friends in, on, on Facebook and, and an Orthodox listener is like, he just raised $600,000. <laughs> We're like, what? That's amazing. So it, it made us feel really great. And it really gave everyone from Pittsburgh who was around us like a special moment. I think there's a way in which you're right. People don't know what to do when something like that happens to a city that's not their own and to a community they, they do feel connected to. And so in a way, that's sort of all we can do in a lot of ways. Part of the thinking behind it was that 
I thought that I want to make myself feel better by donating, but I want to create a platform for others to feel, make themselves feel better. And on the other hand, I, if it goes viral, it also sends a positive signal to the Jewish community, American Jewry at large, and the Pittsburgh community that uh, despite what has happened, that was an outlier, and American people, Gentile and Jewish, are still a friend of theirs and uh, are behind them and are supporting them. So it was. I thought it was not just about the money. Uh, it would be a, an emotional connection that would uh, create uh, between the congregation and the jury and the American people and, again, make ourselves feel better about it. So when did you discover that you loved Jews? Uh, <laughs> Let's go back. Was it after you left Iran in uh, 2009? And we know many Jews who don't love Jews. And right. so this is really, it's going to be instructive for I'm them I'm friends as well. with those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I after I left Iran, I lived in Hungary for two and a half years, and you know how the case is that some Jews don't like other Jews. That's an absolute truth about Iranians. We just don't get along with each other, basically. And when I was living in Hungary, I uh, I started going to a uh, pre-med program that I dropped out of, but let's not mention that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my mom's still not happy. Uh, <laughs> That's very Jewish. <laughs> oh, you want to know Jewish? Uh, I, so I go to Johns Hopkins Science, which is, uh, the, not to brag, but I'm going to brag, the most elite international relations program in the world. And, I, and strat, strategic studies program is the, the elite of the elite programs. And I tell my mom, Mom, I got into that, and it's the most amazing program. And my mom literally responds, no pause. So... You're definitely not going to law school. <laughs> this reminds me of one of, one of my favorite jokes is that the, the mother of the first ever Jewish president gets off the phone with her son who invites her to celebrate Passover in the White House. And she calls her friend and said, my son just invited me for the Seder. She's like, which son? You know, not the doctor, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so speaking of which, after like three minutes, my mom says, complete lie. I know that stores are closed. Honey, I have to uh, hang, hang up and uh, go uh, dress shopping for her cousin's graduation party from med school. <laughs> <laughs> Just twisting the knife. Never yeah. ends. Okay, so what happens in Hungary? Is that so, what you Oh, mean? sorry. Uh, back to that. <laughs> I can't go off tangent. Uh, I... Uh, I do not have any friends, basically, because uh, it was just every nationality was hanging out with their own community, and it was an international college. You hang with your own community, but you hated your community. Yes. So that's, that's <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I, I'm like, I'm fine with being lonely and miserable and no friends, but please don't make me hang out with Iranians. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I, uh, first uh, few days of college, I befriended this guy, Roy Friedlander, who's my best friend now, and he's from Rehovot, Israel. And uh, through Roy, uh, I just end up starting to, starting to hang out with uh, Israelis and his friends, who are real, like, I love you guys, but you guys have a problem when you invite a non-Israeli guest, you need to speak English. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I started hanging out with them, and uh, and I realized that I always thought of Israelis as people, and I realized that uh, to me they were more than people. They were a lot like me, and I shared a lot of characteristics with them, and I could befriend them very easily, and they were easy to befriend. And that was the story. And then you got to the United States, and now uh, you're undergoing an asylum-seeking process. That's fascinating. What, what, what do you need? What's the application like? So um, after the, the application was that you just something happens to you, you go to uh, put an application, a judge sees you a couple of weeks from now and decides whether uh, you're eligible or not. And uh, after the, uh, I think it was the 2014 uh, migrant crisis on the southern border, there ha uh, President Obama didn't, uh, this is, uh, oh, I'm quite sure this is the case, but I might be wrong, that President Obama didn't add any immigration judges, so there's a shortage. And instead of a couple of weeks now, the waiting is up to four or five years. 
So I'm just waiting to get a court order to go and see a judge and say, hey, do you know the Ayatollah? He hates me. Can I stay, please? <laughs> but meanwhile, you're allowed to hang out in the country. Yes, I can, I can stay here. I can uh, legally work and uh, I'm good to stay, yeah. And so what can we do? Like, can we come to this hearing? Can we make signs? Can we write a letter? <laughs> do you need 5,000 Jews at your hearing? Yeah, because we've done a lot. Yeah. Because we'll start a GoFundMe right now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> here's what I honestly... No, seriously, though. Like, can we, we help would, you? Op- I want to say here's how we'd operationalize this. We'd call Mordechai at Chabad. Oh, my God. And we would say, we would say we need 1,000 Winnebagos. That's right. And they need to leave Brooklyn en route for Washington and just pick up Jews, and we, that would happen. Is there, is there, is that part of it? Can we do? Uh, I don't know, and I don't want you guys to do anything because I don't want to. No, I don't want to take anything out of this GoFundMe thing. I just would feel bad if something good for me but comes out no, of it. No, we know, and we appreciate it very much. <laughs> yeah, but you did like a very nice thing for a very American, a very menschy thing for a lot of Jews in a time of need. And I think every single one of those people who gave and all the people here, I mean, we'd all would like for you to stay here. Yeah. Because you're so, good. <laughs> but, but. And so I know, I know you don't want this and you certainly didn't ask for it. But you did skip school to be here. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I went to my uh, uh, morning class, so. I'm good. So we, we Mom, did. Professor is Jewish. You will understand. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we were we were worried about you. We were worried about you. We didn't want you. you to get a, a demerit or or, or a, a you know. So yeah, we put together something for you. An, an official, official an official document on an Orthodox letterhead. <clears throat> to whom it make it's uh, November 6, twenty eighteen, which I believe is what Dalid Kislev. What are we now? <laughs> Anyone know? Um, to whom it may concern. Please excuse Sheikh Kateri from all academic activities on November 6th and 7th, 2018. Mr. Kateri has put forth tremendous effort in raising funds for the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. As a result of this, we have decided to honor Mr. Kateri as our Gentile of the Week, <laughs> the GOTW, at our Unorthodox podcast live taping in Houston. Shea's acts are to be commended, and we believe he reflects well on his community and university. Thank you, Mark Oppenheimer, Stephanie Butnick, Leah Leibowitz. <laughs> Thank you. This is for you. By the way, we're Thank totally you. cool if you change the dates to whatever other date you don't want to go to class. <laughs> we have this amazing American invention called Whiteout, and That's you can do amazing. Right. It's amazing. Well, but, let me check when my final is. And then <laughs> is when this happens. Before we let you go, you, you know, as a longtime fan of the show um, and lurker in our Facebook group, um, that we always give the Gentile of the Week the opportunity to ask a question you've always wanted to ask internationally recognized <laughs> experts on self-proclaimed, self-recognized experts on Judaism. <laughs> you have us here now. Uh, is there anything you'd like to ask us? Like 50 questions, but I'll pick the best one. Okay. So it's not actually about Judaism. It's about Jews. So... I'm not we an, actually know more about Jews than Judaism, so <laughs> you're, that's perfect. Like most Jews, we know more about Jews than Judaism. We know from Jews. So, I'm not an anti-Semite, but, which is a great way to start a sentence. <laughs> I can hear the heartbeats right now. Everyone's Hold on, did we make like, a mistake with this guy? <laughs> you could run for state legislature in the Utah 36. <laughs> oh, I come from Arizona. Okay, so. <laughs> Works better. There. Uh, so, no, so, I, no, I'm not anti-Semite at all, but I also like making jokes occasionally. So what's the line that you guys are fine with and what's the line that we Gentiles cannot cross? $800,000. You are well over the line. That is... is (laughs) But I will say... We should make a card. (laughs) But also, like, it sounds like you are mostly amongst, amongst other Jews. Like, you're not making jokes... To people who aren't Jewish. Yeah. Right? So like that that makes it better? Well, like you basically like I would kind say of, you're yeah. like eighty yeah. percent Jewish already. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I also should say that like for Jews who've been around, like we 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 get we get Iranians who get Jews. Like you you start on third base. You've you landed on a triple. Like, like it's if, yeah, you're, like if you were like, oh I have to schlep to class, we'd right. be like, yeah, yeah, okay. That's fine. That. That's kosher. Yeah. Shay Kateri, thank you so much for being our gentleman. Thank, thank you. Guys. <laughs> thank you.
Hey, J. Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Our Jewish guest this week is A.J. Jacobs. He is, I think, our first three-timer on the show. He's a New York Times bestselling author. His previous books are It's All Relative, which he came on the show to talk about, The Year of Living Biblically, and Drop Dead Healthy, My Life is an Experiment, The Know-It-All, etc., etc., etc. His latest book is Thanks a Thousand, A Gratitude Journey. So, A.J., thank you for being here. Thank, thank you, AJ. you. Thank you. Maybe even more than a thousand, like Aww. two or three thousand. But it is, we were just talking, it's great to be, I was on the first episode, before this was the universe's leading Jewish podcast. Yep. It yep. was like just one of the universe's. At the time we were lagging behind seven Lubavitcher podcasts <laughs> and um, <laughs> so podcasts by Messianic. And Messi- Rabbi Sachs. Right, and Rabbi Sachs and a couple Messianic Jews. Our nemesis. Were, right. So AJ, if I wanted to thank everyone properly for you being here today. Like, what, how would we do that? Oh, you got to go. Well, first, you got to thank my parents, then my grandparents, then my great grandparents. <laughs> so you got a lot of work there. Uh, believe it or not, you have to thank the MTA. No one thanks said, the MTA. Said, said no one ever. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And which, because uh, I took the subway down, uh, you have to thank uh, caffeine. You know, I was I was here. Uh, I'm drinking my coffee. Bright eyed and bushy tailed. You wouldn't be this awake so, without so caffeine. Caffeine, you wrote a great piece that kind of ties into the theme um, of the book in the Wall Street Journal this week. And we have it in front of us, printed in color. I'm would you mind impressed. reading the first the first two paragraphs? I would be honored to. All right. Does oh, this man. feel like your bar mitzvah? I am old. Mm. That's what I it's got. a really small print. You got <laughs> to hold it far away. <laughs> yeah. I got to do like when I go to restaurants and I have the little flashlight the iPhone for the menu. looking at the menu. Okay. You ready? Here we go. I recently had the opportunity to gaze at one of the most mind-boggling accomplishments in history. This marvel is the result of thousands of human beings collaborating, collaborating across dozens of countries. It required the combined labor of artists, biologists, politicians, mechanics, miners, and goat herds. It took airplanes, boats, trucks, motorcycles, vans, pallets, and shoulders. It depended on a vast range of materials, from steel to wood to explosives to bat guano. It relied on ancient wisdom and space-age technology, on freezing temperatures and scorching heat. It is my morning cup of coffee. Dun, dun. Which there brings us to your book. Will you explain it a little bit? I would be honored to. Uh, yeah, this book came about, actually it came about in a sort of Jewish way because I wanted to say a prayer at mealtime, but I'm, kinda, I'm agnostic slash atheist somewhere in there. So instead of thanking God, I would say, uh, I'd like to thank the farmer for the tomatoes and the, the cashier for selling me the tomatoes. And, uh, and my sons, after a while, they said, you know, Dad, that, that's kind of lame. 
because they can't hear you. They're not in our apartment. You're not doing them any good. If you cared, you would go and thank them in person. Your kids are like, go big or go home. Yes, Oh, Go big or go outside of the home and thank all these people. (laughs) How did you decide that you would thank that the coffee, the the cup of coffee was going to be like the thing that you would would thank everyone involved in the making of it? Because it could have been... You know, it could have been anything. Could have been your grilled cheese. It could have been you know your Socks, TV, your remote yeah, control. Exactly. It and the kids actually, they wanted me to do s'mores. That was their theory. <laughs> that's three things though. That's a lot. I of know. Work. That's what I said. It's uh, like write your own damn book, kids. <laughs> uh, but you know, coffee. First of all, I need my coffee, uh, and also it's just you know two billion cups of coffee are drunk every day, and uh, it's uh, it 125 million people are employed by the coffee industry. It's like the beverage if you're gonna go big big coffee big coffee so so tell us about big coffee where did you start this journey who's the first person who well gets... i went backwards so first i thanked the barista at uh at the coffee shop i go to here in new york but then i worked which, backwards, is, which is which is joe coffee founded by a jewish fellow Jonathan all the coffee Rubenstein. dunkin donuts starbucks all, really? we just we discovered we did the research a few yeah. episodes about coffee very jewish that's interesting. Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. Donuts. Like there was one Jewish guy in whatever town he was in, in Eastern Mass, surrounded by all the Irish and French Canadian. He's the guy. But tea, donuts, goyish. Tea, coffee, Jewish. What about matcha? Japanese? Matcha, not a thing. Over, <laughs> over already. <laughs> Had it this morning. I knew not even to okay. get on that train. And also, donuts does not see. It's like Dunkin' Bagels would have been like. It seems like it's a coffee shop. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I went backwards. I went to. Um, I did the taster and then I, but I went wide because the idea is it's six degrees. Like anything you have in your life is connected to thousands of other things. So I thank the people who made the steel because, you know, there's steel in the stop signs uh, and the coffee truck has to, you know, stop somewhere. It has to stop. (laughs) Otherwise it'll, (laughs) it'll get rammed and you won't get your coffee. I imagine some of the thank keys, looked at you a little bit funny, like, what do you want and why are you thanking me about your cup of coffee? That is an excellent point. Yes, because I was cold calling them or visiting them in person. And (laughs) some of them were just like that. They're like, uh, what's going on? Is this a pyramid scheme? What are you selling? (laughs) Hey, Cheech, there's this crazy guy who wants to thank you for making the pylons. (laughs) I did thank pylons. But but there were, I would say the majority, surprisingly, were, were quite pleased because they don't get that like i remember i called the woman who does uh pest control for the warehouse where the coffee beans are stored and i said (laughs) i know this sounds strange but i just want to thank you for keeping the insects out of my coffee and she was like pause and she's like that is strange but thank you. You know, I don't get a lot of positive right. feedback. She says, I have a miserable life, and this is the only nice thing someone had said to me there in days go. or weeks. Exactly. I like when you call the people who made that, like, the, the cardboard, what's that thing called? Like the koozie? Oh, the, the zarf. That right. was one of the most exciting discoveries That's for me. the thing we slipped the cup into to protect our fingers. That's the sleeve, yes. The zarf. The cardboard. And it has a long and glorious history. There were zarfs made of tortoise shells in ancient China. But the cardboard zarf was invented. Not to mention the Russian zarf. He was <laughs> the car zarf. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the cardboard zarf is uh, was invented by just this guy, this guy in Portland who spilled coffee because it was too hot. And he's please like, tell me he was Jewish. Gonna... Please tell me we got the, car- well, the, the cardboard zarf. Well, his name is Sorensen. What do you think? No, no, no he's, a, right. he's a Norwegian or something. So this this brings me to, to to kind of you know my my big takeaway uh, from the book, which is yeah, everyone had something to do with it, but but some people are more uh, thank-worthy. And, and my favorite thank-worthy person is the mad genius who invented the system by which the little lid regulates the way the coffee gets to your lips without you know spilling oh. all over the place and scorching your, your mouth. Yeah, Tell us guy. about the genius. He is a genius. I mean, I call him the Elon Musk of lids. Hopefully he's a little more <laughs> emotionally stable. He's on the moon right now. Yeah. <laughs> but he... Gives, I mean, that was the thing. He gives so much thought and passion to this little piece of Who plastic. Who is he? Tell His us about name is human. Doug Fleming. Sorry, I don't think a Jew either. We uh, can still talk about him. All right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but he he uh, said that coffee is not farm 
to plate, it's farm to face. That's right. Like you have got. <laughs> so th- that last step is so key because the aroma can be blocked by a bad lid. So he made, uh, he figured out the perfect opening for the aroma to come through, and he he figured out the there's the the mouth opening is on the inner lid, uh, inner lip of the. So you know just. Because it has to come out at a certain angle for your retronasal experience. I don't know what that means, but he put so much delightful now, when, thought. When into you talk this. to him, are you like, Doug? Is everything okay? <laughs> like, how's life going with, for this to be the thing that you spend it on? Well, it's funny because in the middle of the conversation, he's like, uh, you know, I don't want to get too geeky on you. I'm like, that ship sailed long ago. <laughs> like, like, do I you know whom, with whom you speak? <laughs> Plus, <laughs> when you said retronasal, that's when everything was. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. But he, uh, but I love it because it is everything, uh, you know, not every, but there are so many of these little masterpieces all around us that we don't notice. Uh, and and it was this sense of wa- un- wonder and awe that, uh, that it was, so that was a, a delightful takeaway. So what was the most unexpected place you found yourself in writing this book? Well, I did go to Indiana. <laughs> Does that count? Uh, so Blinking yeah. heavily against the Midwestern right. sun, being like, what am I doing here? <laughs> this strange land. Uh, yeah, I went to the steel factory, which was uh, which was fascinating and loud and uh, and dirty. And I will tell you, I'm, I met with one woman whose entire job was to stare at a sheet of metal, a sheet of steel going by uh, for for eight hours a day to find the pockmarks. And uh, and then if she found one, she would Do you wonder it. how people do these mind-numbingly boring jobs? Like, there's a, li- there's a library I used to go to where they had someone who checked your books on the way out, like many academic libraries. Like, they look at, you have to show them your book on the web so they can see, was it checked out? Or they put it under a scanner to make sure it's checked out. And um, there are people who sit there all day just swiping the books under there, but at this particular library, they used to let them at least sketch in their downtime. So oh. there were people who were, there were there were guards who were did these beautifully elaborate sketches. Then one day, some book got through. They they found out that an important book had escaped the library, right, without being caught. And they doubled down. And they told the guards, no, no sketching. more sketching. No checking your phone, no sketching, that no anything. Cruel. So they now sit there for a, waiting for, you know, if there's 40 minutes in between people passing by, how do people do these jobs? And actually that the is... majority of people in your book have jobs like that, right? They're not right. the glamorous like coffee tasters, coffee roasters. They're the people doing right. sort of like well, menial tasks. I, I actually, I didn't include this in the book. Maybe I should have, but I there is a story that I read that I loved and it doesn't seem apocryphal. Maybe you know it is John F. Kennedy went to NASA uh, when he was president to visit and uh, he met with all these scientists and then he saw a janitor and sweeping up in the hall and he said to the janitor, what's your job? What do you do? And he said, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. And I thought that was love. Like if you can reframe your job to be part of something bigger, that is lovely. I mean... Or you could get a union to make there sure you, you get go. paid a little bit more, which is also also the kind of thing they should do. You discovered in you, you discovered in this journey that uh, you actually learned something about Judaism. It turns out well, it turns out Jews actually you they discovered experience how, gratitude. Unbelievable. Like that that when you were looking for that thing to say before meals, <laughs> Jews had a version. Turns out they have versions for lots of things. Well, that was surprising to me. I got it. Because I grew up a cultural Jew. There's no religion. So to me Andrew James Jacobs. Close. It is Arnold Stephen Jacobs Jr., which, as you know, Ashkenazi Jews are not. Yeah, Arnold mean. Stephen Jacobs Jr. Yeah, the Mar- Arnold though is a great mid-century yeah. Yeah. Like, Jewish. That's yeah, Jewish Arnie. I mean, Arnie, my dad like is that. Arnie. Yeah. Um, all right, but so you you knew nothing. So well, I actually <laughs> thought the opposite. You know, to me. Gratitude was not a very Jewish emotion, like anxiety, guilt, <laughs> indigestion. Complaint. Indigestion. That is a very good Jewish emotion. Is that an emotion? <laughs> like yes, a, yes, it is. Mark. It's a state yes, it is. Jews have elevated indigestion to an emotion. <laughs> Into a feeling. <laughs> uh, so I was, uh, you know, in researching this, I was pleasantly surprised that Jews actually do experience gratitude. And, uh, <laughs> 
And actually talking to rabbis, you know, rabbis, I think, are very good at taking any positive emotion and spinning it to be like uh, the, at the heart of Judaism. That's right. Because uh, Oh, love. Well, that's what we're all about. Right. right. Oh, well, happiness. No, that's what the religion's all about. Right. Yeah. Or tolerance. I mean, there <laughs> are take those... a preferred, every preferred political candidate is actually what Jewish tradition tells us to vote for. There like, they'll take go. anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, Jew, so gratitude is a very Jewish emotion. I mean, the word Jew comes from Judah, which is to thank. So at least that's what I'm told. Uh, so, so yeah, it was very interesting to see. And, and one rabbi told me a famous Jewish gratitude anecdote that I have mixed feelings about. Can I tell you? It's very short. We would and I want to hear your interpretation. Uh, cause it's about a farmer and the farmer goes to his rabbi and he complains, Oh, I have a very noisy house. My wife and kids, they make too much noise. The farmer says, uh, all right, well, bring your goat inside. The rabbi says. The rabbi says that. And the guy's like, what is going on? So, but he brings his goat inside and, and he sleeps with, you know, sleeps with, <laughs> not with the goat, but with, with the goat inside. And yeah, you got it. Uh, and then he's like, goes back. He complains. The, the rabbi says, bring the chicken in and so on. And then finally he's like, this is terrible. The rabbi says, all right, now get rid of all the animals. And he comes back the next day and says, Rabbi, I love my life. You know, it's uh, my so, quiet. so quiet. So, your idea, so basically your idea of, of Jewish gratitude is it, it could always be worse. That was it. That be was thankful. my takeaway. The Holocaust <laughs> may happen again. By the way, that story is told like 10 times longer by a rabbi, right? They're like, and he says, bring the goat in. And now he says, bring the horse in. And you're like, okay, I know where this is <laughs> yeah, going. Right. <laughs> I can tell. That's by the way, it. that story is one that achieves great resonance for you when you have your fifth child. <laughs> and just as it's getting overwhelming, you start thinking, I could ship one off to summer camp. That's I right. could ship one off to college. You're like, college is Eventually, you're back down to no... I've heard you go back down to no children. No children. Yeah. But, so yeah. they are the barnyard animals. My children are the life. barnyard but animals. But it's not just that. Like You you wrote a piece, um, another piece, and you talk about the, 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 the specific blessings in Judaism, like the weird and wacky ways in which we are supposed to be grateful. Like, isn't there one for seeing a nearsighted person? Is that what you say? Right. Yeah. There are so many specific. Seeing a rainbow. Blessed, that's seeing, a really nice one. And yeah. seeing, yeah, seeing a nearsighted. I, I love that there's a specific uh, blessing for seeing food that resembles its ingredients and food that does not resemble mm -hmm. its ingredients. Like we've, they, we've actually been doing this for thanks a thousand years. Right. Thanks for eating new foods. 56, 000, no, no, they, have, they scoop me. The Jews definitely scoop me. And then there was uh, I, one of the rabbis. They also uh, scooped you, by the way, on the living biblically thing. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Damn it. You've been eating out of this gravy train a long time, son. You, <laughs> you should take out a synagogue membership. <laughs> I do have one. Oh, I do have one. Right. Uh, that Thank was, you. When for that. I, Thank you. <laughs> I will say when I would go speak at synagogues and I would talk about my year of living biblically and people were like, I don't know, is he making fun of Jesus? This is the book where you tried to observe all 613 right. commandments right. for a year. Right. So, but, so but then at the end, I could always say, well, I did join a synagogue and they're like, oh, oh no, okay. that's OK. So I want to talk. I want to talk about the book's amazing. Everyone should read it. It's as as lovely and entertaining as always. But but I want to talk. It's also short. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like a nice it's, quick it's read. A small, what they call in the industry trim size. Gracefully. Yeah. You can pat, you know, in your back pocket where you used to keep your comb in high school. <laughs> also or your a six. great Thanksgiving gift. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Can you. Put it's almost book. like it came out now on purpose. It's oh, weird. <laughs> it's amazing. How, uh, I want to talk about A.J. Jacobs. All right. Arnold where, Stephen Jacobs Jr. Where is this amazing project going? Because like you could tell like the the know-it-all, year of living biblically. Are you escalating the the scope of what you want to achieve in your books? I mean, are you going to like perish while trying to like completely ensconce all of human knowledge? Yeah, What's the I next like step in, in, yeah. in this? World peace. Yeah, yeah, you, was, you're, going, you're going bigger. That would here. be nice. That, uh, yeah, I did try. Well, it's partly selfishly fueled because I do feel... For my next book, Israel and Palestine. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, you know, I, I feel that I talk in the book... I think we all have our Larry David side and Mr. Rogers side. And my Larry David side, I feel, is very strong. So, and which is, it's fun to watch Larry David on TV, but it's not as fun to be Living in the Larry him. David mindset. Like, that's not always as fun. So this was an attempt partly to bulk up, to like get my Mr. Rogers side ripped. And did so, it leave you feeling differently? Are you sort of more serene and zen 
like now? Or I do think I am. I do. Think, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, in six months, I may be miserable and uh, and angry. If again, that happens, but... I've got a next book for you. What? Become a Catholic monk. <laughs> Just tell your wife I'm out for three years. Yeah, I like it. The kids well, will be fine. Is this because gonna... you have five kids and you're looking at <laughs> That's I have... Mark's fantasy. I'm out for three years, love. He's like, I actually have to are report projecting... on AJ, who's becoming a mom, for three years. Yeah, AJ and I are going to the... So what's the next book? Uh, next, I do... I want to write a, uh, an amusing, hopefully, book on a very boring word, epistemology, because uh, I do think... I was going to would... say your next book is going to be an academic treatise, and I was close. <laughs> I was going to make that as a okay, joke. Okay, what is epistemology? Theory of knowledge. Yeah. How yeah. do we know what we know because yeah. i do think that that is right now the most important you know we're living in in two separate realities and and all this argument about uh fake news and uh disinformation like i want to know how do i know what i know how do i know even the most basic things like how do i know that my wife loves me uh, i don't know if that's true she says she does but uh let's try to figure it out she that, told that, me the same thing <laughs> <laughs> guys take it easy I, the thing the thing that's so fun about your books is you take on these very intense subjects right living a year fully biblically like but it's actually so fun to read and this coffee journey like it could be kind of boring but actually it's so fascinating to the, the the way you write about all the people you meet along the way so i do believe that you could actually talk about like knowledge in a way that would be interesting well thank you i you know we love thank I you, wanna, thank you. I actually I mean, we love, love all our you. guests but we really love I you so am i ever allowed on Peter. a four peter yeah what, you need to come that? out with that new book i actually do want to thank you because there's something in the book that you do or you learn from someone at that i actually started doing which oh, is i think i know the a to z I thinking of something you're grateful for to fall asleep yeah that has literally changed my life. I, I I didn't come up with it. I someone at a, a talk I gave told me it's like when you're trying to fall asleep, go through the alphabet and find something for each letter that you're grateful for, and it should be as creative as possible. So like this, uh, a last night for me, a was we don't have a kitchen right now because we're remodeling, so we made. Um, bake-free apple pie. We made apple pie without baking. Uh, so I was thankful for that. Apple pie. Uh, apple pie. I have to say K is hard. K. I get stuck on K. I've done it for two well, nights now. Don't forget there's K-N. Like, uh, oh. Oh, like Knadel. Yeah. Knish. <laughs> the Jewish stuff. Yeah, exactly. Knights. Knish. Knees. Knees. Very important. AJ, that's a great life hack for the K's, the KNs. There you go. There you go. Uh, AJ Jacobs, thank you for your book, Thanks a Thousand. And thank you for being our Jewish guest of the week. Our first ever three-peating Jewish guest. If our you don't ever. count Jordan Hoffman, who's more of a member of the team than a guest, I would say. And uh, yeah, come for Pete sometime. I would love it. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> AJ Jacobs, everyone. Tell me, tell me in the day or the night, would it kill you to call or write? The mailbox this week is outstanding. J. Crew, you are outstanding in your letters to us. Dear Unorthodox, I started listening to your podcast about six months ago during my commute. I want to thank you for your episode on Squirrel Hill. I was also in shul that Shabbat and didn't hear the news until I got home. On Sunday, after sending our kids to Hebrew school and attending Morning Minion, my wife Audrey and I went out campaigning for our U.S. representative, who also happens to be Jewish. But all day I was thinking about doing something more personal. I have never worn a kippah outside of synagogue, and my Goya Shapunim, I've been Jewish for only 22 of my 47 years, certainly would not out me on its own. But I really wanted to walk in solidarity with Squirrel Hill and make a statement that I am a Jew too. But I also didn't want to offend or misrepresent my co-religionists to do that. On Monday, I almost put on a kippah before heading out to work, but at the last minute I balked. At dinner Monday night, my older son Rafi mentioned that one of his teachers wore one that day. We both decided we would wear kippot on Tuesday, and we did. I was very self-conscious all day long. I work at a large, diverse Fortune 500 company as a scientist, and I had very little fear of any response outside of curiosity or sympathy from my coworkers. But to be honest, I was more concerned about offending Jewish colleagues. I don't keep kosher in any strictly halakhic way, but I do avoid eating meat that's non-kosher. At the cafeteria that day, I was even more careful in selecting my lunch items, only having salad with veggies. In any event, I made it home without incident. I've worn it again today, Wednesday, and plan to keep wearing it through the end of the week. 
I'm not sure yet to what extent a small knitted circle on the back of my head will evoke conscious or unconscious bias in strangers. But the act of wearing it in public is making me contemplate my Jewish identity in new ways, although I'm not quite sure where it will lead. Looking forward to future podcasts, Michael Finley, Allentown, Pennsylvania. I mean, this is not the part of the show yet where we do the Mazel Tovs, but let me, let me preempt here. Michael Finley, Mazel Tov to your brother. This is one of the most moving, wonderful things I've heard. I have to say, uh, you know, I am such a public Jew in so many ways. One might say I host a leading Jewish podcast. You don't wear a yarmulke, though. And, I've, and, I, and I wear a yarmulke on Shabbat when I leave the house and walk half a mile to shul, and I wear it on the way back. But when I've been challenged by people, you know, who've said, oh, as an experiment, you might, like, try wearing one for a month and see what's, like, every day, I simply can't fathom. Like, I, I think of what would my parents say? What would my neighbors say? What would all, all the whispering? Has Mark gotten, has he gone off the deep end? You right. know, and I, I all just- All the whispering from all these Jews in your yes, life. Who yes, yes. be like, are you weird now? Which reminds me of something a friend of mine <laughs> once once told me. We were talking about a, a mutual friend who became a little more religious in midlife, conservative Jew, but he started wearing a yarmulke. And this other friend was telling me the story of how she said to him, um, does your now wearing a yarmulke make people uncomfortable? And he said- only my fellow Jews. That's right. Yeah. You know? Isn't it great that we've gone to that point in history? But you know what? It's <laughs> the interesting. The only people who would comment on your yarmulke are other Jews. It's interesting. When we came back from Pittsburgh, I had a Shabbat dinner at my house for the first time on that Friday night. I, I felt this, this you know, I didn't go to synagogue and I didn't, we didn't even really say prayers, but I like got a challah and I, I we had dinner plans with friends and I said, why don't you guys come over? And, you know, we made dinner and I like got a challah. I put out candles. and a it, Shabbat dinner, if you will. Yeah. And there were not, you know, we didn't do prayers, but like to me, actually, it felt like an important thing to do. And I'm curious as we sort of move move farther away from from what happened in Pittsburgh the way in which like do I continue doing that? Does does our friend continue to wear a yarmulke? Like how do how how did these realities change the way the way we we all function? Michael, what a letter. Thank you for writing. We're so moved that you wrote. Now we go to the listener line. Here's a call about our Pittsburgh show. Hello, my name is Marlene Berman-Cohen. I just listened to the Unorthodox podcast about the Squirrel Hill uh, events and uh, the individual commentaries from different uh, residents of the neighborhood. I came to Squirrel Hill thinking that I might stay for just a few years. That was in 1993, and this year marks my 20th anniversary, 25th anniversary here. Even when my husband and I moved to Toronto a few years ago to be closer to my sister and her family, Squirrel Hill exerted its magnetic pull and drew us back after a relatively short time away. After this past Shabbat, our lives here will never be the same, and the gravity of this event will ripple through our children and their children. We are forever changed, and yet as a community, we will slowly begin to move forward. Thank you. And now another call, this one from a voice you might recognize, our longtime listener and super fan in the J. Crew, Gabrielle Savitt-Woods. Listen, 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 listen. With all due respect to Steingart Delage, you know, Montreal bagels are just fine. They're great. They're a beautiful variation on the theme. But he betrays himself when he says the bagel should be a a delivery system for the fish. If you want to eat fish, you should eat a Montreal bagel. If you want a bagel, you should eat a New York bagel. That's all I'm saying. Gavi, some very salty words about bagel consumption. Thank you for calling in. Mazel tovs? Either of you have a mazel tov? I have a big mazel tov to Molly Ye, friend of the show, former guest. Uh, a new season of her Food Network show, Girl Meets Farm, premiered this week. And Yay! It is so fun. And she is also debuting a baby bump. Yay! <laughs> so her little baby, her and Nick are having a kid. B'sha'ah tova, as I've learned That's over many say. pregnancies. The Jews, we don't say mazel tov because no, bad luck. What does b'sha'ah tova mean? In, in good hour. In, in, in good, good time. Hour. In good time, Molly. In good time. Hopefully in, Nick, you know, love you guys. Six, seven months. Awesome. And my Mazel Tov is a belated Mazel Tov to my friend Tony Mazurkowitz, who um, 
got married in the time since I last saw him to Ann Seltzer. Uh, Tony is somebody whose installation as a Catholic priest I attended. As a, he was a Carmelite priest, and I got to go to that many years ago, and I think he was the most wonderful priest. Uh, he was a, a high school principal um, and, and briefly, uh, I think, an associate parish priest, and I think very few people have done probably more good for lots of Roman Catholics than Tony, but he's he's on to another chapter, which then he involves— Then Seltzer, the heiress to the Seltzer fortune. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's turned. And, and, and uh, he's on to the next, uh, the next chapter, and he's going to be an amazing family man in other, in other ways uh, as, as a husband. And so it was great. He passed through New Haven. It was simply wonderful to see Tony and to meet Anne. No sooner do we get off the road than we think about going back on the road. January 15th, 2019, we will be doing a free show at the beautiful Washington Hebrew Congregation in Washington, D.C. That is a free live show. So come from the whole tri-state area, whatever three states they are. Where our guest would be President Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> uh, Medal of Freedom winner Miriam Adelson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, the late John Glenn. The, the late astronaut. John Glenn. And Bo, the former presidential dog. Uh, we will then be in San Diego on January January 31st at the Lawrence Family JCC. And then heading up the coast, we're going to do a pit stop in Los Angeles for a special evening uh, to be announced later. Then up the coast to Seattle, where February 2nd, 2019, we will be at the Stroom Family JCC. Seattle, here we come. We'll be doing a joint live show with Dan Savage and his podcast, Savage Love. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. You can ask for our newsletter by writing to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and putting newsletter in the subject line. We often come to you live to book us. Email producer Josh Cross at jcross, that's cross with a K, at tabletmag.com. And of course, you need to wear and carry unorthodox as well. Hit up bit.ly slash unorthoshirt and find the latest in unorthodox shirts, mugs, onesies, laptop cases, like the one that says tablet lacrosse, uh, and and other things. Uh, bit.ly slash unortho shirt follow us on instagram at unorthodox podcast and on twitter at unorthodox underscore pod join our facebook group much lively chatter going on in the fbg our show is produced by josh cross shira Tolushkin, and noah levinson our editor is sophia steinard evoy our artwork is by esther werdiger our social media intern is elazar abrams our theme music is by golem online at golemrocks.com our mailbox theme is by steve barton Rabbinic supervision by Jeremy Kalmanovsky of Anshe Chesed, who has presided over the bat mitzvah of my niece, Hannah Fremer. And Rabbi Eric Wisney of Beth Chaim in West Windsor, New Jersey, the rabbi to Yehoshua Josh Cross, our producer. We record in the original crib, Argo Studios, and we give much love to our engineer, week in and week out, Paul Ruest. Shalom, friends. <laughs>